Educate for Life on AM 1170. The answer is sponsored by EducateForLife.org. This is Educate for Life with Kevin Conover on AM 1170, The Answer. Educate for Life, a look at current events from today's headlines and how they affect you, what you believe shapes your worldview and your ultimate destiny. Learn more now at educateforlife.com. Now in studio, here is your host, Kevin Conover. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego, every Sunday from 4 to 5 p.m. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. Well, today um, I figured we'd talk about something. You know, the Confederate flag has been in the news a lot, and uh, there's a lot of controversy over whether that flag should uh, be flown and everything. And regardless of what you think about that regarding history and so forth, you know, something that comes up frequently is the idea uh, that the Bible actually endorses slavery. And I wanted to kind of put this to rest once and for all. Even our own president, back when he was a senator, he actually made the statement that he thought that uh, the Bible condones slavery. Uh, this is at the June 28, 2006 Coal to Renewal Conference. Listen to what he says about um, the Bible and slavery here. On June 28, 2006, Senator Barack Obama gave a speech to the Coal to Renewal Conference, where he explained why he finds it so difficult for America to use the Bible to help guide our public policy. Which passages of Scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with uh, Leviticus, which uh, suggests slavery is okay? Or we could go uh, with uh, Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child? If he strays from the faith, or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount? A passage that is so radical that it's doubtful that our own Defense Department would survive its application. Folks haven't been reading their Bible. So you can see there um, that even our own president seems confused about what the Bible has to say about the issue of slavery, along with a lot of other issues that he, he brings up there. But... Um, I just want to make it very clear. The slavery of the Old Testament was not the same as the slavery of early American history, uh, of uh, the pre-Civil War slavery that was going on in the, sl- in the South. Now, uh, you, you may be aware of Harriet Beecher Stowe. Uh, she was um, a woman who wrote uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Supposedly, when Abraham Lincoln met her, she came when she came to the White House, he said to her, so you're the little woman who wrote the book that started this great war. And in the book, she describes um, pre-Civil War slavery uh, that was going on in the antebellum South. Uh, she says this, the legal power of the master amounts to an absolute despotism over body and soul, and there is no protection for the slave's life. And this is radically different than the slavery uh, that was in the Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, And specifically, we're referring to things that are in the Levitical law. So the slavery in the Old Testament was more like indentured servitude, kind of like a live-in employee. It was not forced slavery. So um, maybe like an apprentice-like position uh, to pay off debts. So in early American history, you had indentured servitude where people could uh, pay off uh, their their trip to the new world in America, right, by working for a period of time to pay off that, that debt. Um, so even today, you know, you have NFL teams, uh, NBA teams trading players. Of course, we would never compare that to slavery. These are contractual agreements. And a lot of what was going on in the Old Testament is very similar to that. So <clears throat> you had all kinds of natural disasters in the in the Old Testament in which you had the opportunity, uh, you, you could very easily lose everything you had, right? Failed crops, uh, if you had a bad season and, and you were a farmer, uh, if there was a plague of locusts, right? Uh, all kinds of other disasters um, that would come to families and individuals. And let's say you had borrowed a lot of money and now your crops had failed. Well, you still had the opportunity to pay off that debt by um, by putting yourself in a, in a uh, 
servant-like or slave-like agreement with the person you owed the money to to pay that, pay that person off. Um, because you have to consider that the person who made the loan to you is out that money also if you don't pay them back, right? So how is that going to be remedied? And in Leviticus 25:47, it talks about somebody selling himself to another person if they become poor. Now, of course, that's not ideal, but that kind of stuff happens uh, where people are. And, and so this was a, a way to remedy that. But it wasn't forced slavery in the same thing as we think of in the antebellum South. Um, so families could even mortgage their land right until the, the year of Jubilee. So what that means is they could actually use their land to pay off their debt, kind of uh, loan it out to somebody else to use for themselves. And then they would get that back at the year of Jubilee, uh, which er all, everybody's land went back to their owners. So, so you never permanently lost your land. Uh, it's actually a pretty amazing thing. In Leviticus 25, 46, and 53, it says specifically um, that masters could hire their servants from year to year and were not to rule over them ruthlessly. And in Deuteronomy 15, 4 through 6, it specifically states, there, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. And uh, so, so in the Bible, it's very clear that uh, God wanted them to owe nobody anything. Um, but that was contingent upon them keeping their moral obligations to God and living in a right way. And, you know, to a certain degree, that applies to the U.S. or any nation. Um, a lot of people, they see that they think there's a disconnect between uh, the moral lives we live and the financial way we live. But in fact, they are intimately entwined. And th the way you live morally affects your financial future uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, if you can't, for example, if you can't trust an employee to get their work done um, and they're lazy and slothful and they lie and they steal, well, you're going to have a lot, lot harder time running your business with employees that are not reliable than somebody who works hard um, gets to work on time, doesn't come to work uh, hungover or drunk, uh, um, somebody who doesn't steal, somebody who uh, is not doing other things, right, uh, surfing the internet while they're supposed to be working, versus, so, so a person's moral uh, character affects the way they work and affects the way a business is run. And so those things are connected. Um, there's not this, okay, this is what I do financially, but this is what I do morally. No, they're intertwined. And there's, so there's the natural repercussions of the way you live, um, morally connected to your finances, but there's also the supernatural blessing of God that, uh, is affected. Uh, God is involved in nations. The Bible says that God brings up nations and he brings nations low. And so, uh, the truth of the matter is that when a the, the Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so um, there is both both the natural blessings of living morally, and then there's the supernatural blessings of God for a nation that lives morally. And we can see this all throughout the Old Testament. If you study this, uh, it's very very clear that that's the case. And we can see that there is a very specific connection to the morality in the USA. Um, uh, again, in Deuteronomy 15, 4 through 6, it says very specifically, there, be no, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands. Um, and, and then it ends there, it says, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. Well, we're coming up here on a break, but uh, this is a very important subject. What we're, what we're demonstrating here is that the Bible does not condone slavery uh, as it was in the antebellum South. The, it, the Bible of the Old, the, the slavery of the Old Testament is radically different than the slavery that we are familiar with 
in our own history, which was extremely evil. Um, yet this, the slavery in the Bible is more of an indentured servitude or what, what might be termed a bond servant, um, which was simply to pay off debts. It was their way of dealing with the problem of owing somebody money and having to make that right. And so we'll be right back. Um, stay with you. You're on Educate for Life Radio today, uh, AM 1170, The Answer with Kevin Conover. And we're streaming live all over the world at www.am1170theanswer.com. We'll be right back. Learn about what God is doing on the streets of Hillcrest. City on a Hill, San Diego, is an exciting ministry raising an army of people who love God in our city. Ryan Smith and his team take the time to talk with and know the people of the community, provide tracts and materials, and build Christian community. See the stories of lives being changed at cityonahillsandiego.com. Call for details, 619-354-2511. City on a Hill, San Diego, sharing faith, hope, and love. Do you have one-button espresso machines in your home or business? They make delicious coffee drinks, but they're not maintenance-free. Express Fix Coffee is San Diego's source for coffee and espresso machine repair, sales, and service. Call Dave Martin at Express Fix Coffee for new and used espresso machines, repairs, parts, and accessories. They'll save you time and money. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. Learn more at ExpressFixCoffee.com. Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. If you want to get a recording of this show, uh, you can right there. We podcast the show. We put it on our YouTube channel. And uh, so... Uh, If you have any feedback, please share it with me. I love to get feedback, email, Facebook, Twitter, whatever the case, uh, that's fantastic. Anyway, what we're talking about here today, you know, uh, in the news is the Confederate flag and um, I I shared in the previous segment, um, Obama actually talked about he was kind of mocking the Bible and its view of uh, slavery and uh, in insinuating that it condones slavery when, in fact, it doesn't. And, you know, this is very relevant to us because um, we have to decide what we're going to base our the foundation of our life on, right? We can base it on a variety of different things. Uh, we can base it on the idea that God does not exist. We can base it on the biblical view. We can base it on a uh, Eastern view or a... Uh, Islamic view. We can base it on a uh, kind of a socialist view. There's all kinds of views that we can have in regards to how we deal with social issues, money, how we treat each other and everything. And I want to make it very clear that the Bible does not endorse, never did it endorse um, the slavery that we see in the, or that we see in our own history in the antebellum South. And this also affects money, right? We're coming up on the 2016 elections here. We're going to be seeing debates here soon. And one of the big things people are debating is, is the debt that we are incurring. We are incurring huge amounts of debt in this country. And the Bible says that our moral, the way we live morally affects our finances. Um, and there's a, there is uh, incredible evidence that that is absolutely the case. Um, but before we get to that, There's an interesting scripture in the Bible. It says, if the slave plainly says, this is in Exodus 21, 5 through 6, if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost or the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall be his slave forever. Now, this is strange, uh, you know, living in our times. It's very important that we we try to figure out the context of what's being said here. But essentially, this is kind of like job security. Um, if you find an incredible employer to work with who treats you fairly, uh, who always has plenty of work, who's giving you raises on a regular basis. You know, I have a friend that works for Google up in San Francisco, and they say it's incredible the way they treat their employees, the benefits they give them, uh, the time off they give them, um, just all kinds of incredible benefits. I have another friend who works for uh, who used to work for Qualcomm said the same thing about them. Another friend who works for Geico said the same thing about them. And so you have a lot of uh, employers that are great, and a lot of people, they, they don't want to ever lose that job. It's job security. It's fantastic. Well, in, in the Old Testament, uh, if, if you wanted to, you could make a commitment to an employer forever, and they had an obligation to you, and you had an obligation to them. And this was 
part of the way that that happened. But in no time was that person to be treated ruthlessly. And the Bible is very, very clear about that. Uh, there's never a time where a person is allowed to be treated ruthlessly. It says um, in Leviticus chapter 25, masters were to grant their servants release every seventh year with all debts forgiven. Now, th- this is amazing because no matter how much debt you had, because again, in, in the Old Testament, what you became was an indentured servant. If you had a debt that you couldn't pay off because you didn't have the, the resources, the money, and you were going to pay it off by working for somebody instead, even let's say you got to the seventh year, if you still hadn't paid off that debt, Um, You were let go for free, and the debt was completely forgiven. Absolutely phenomenal. And um, there's a lot of evidence that our laws regarding bankruptcy are related to that seven-year period. You know, it's seven years for a bankruptcy to come off your record. Um, And so, very uh, interesting. Now, people in other Near Eastern um, nations were not treated the same way. Okay, Uh, So, slaves in other Near Eastern nations were not treated like this. Uh, so in Leviticus 25, it says, if any of your people, Hebrew men or women sell themselves to you and serve you six years in the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty handed, supply them liberally, um, supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord, your God has blessed you. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt and the Lord, your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. So essentially what the text is saying here is look at, um, God, uh, blessed you when you left Egypt as slaves. Now you're going to do the same for this person. You're going to let them go and you're going to supply them so that they can get on their feet and, and be doing great. And, uh, you know, the, the evidence is, is that um, they treated their poor people and the people that were struggling a lot better than we do in this country. Um, a, a lot of our people are in very difficult situations and they don't have the benefits that a lot of them had, right, uh, legally. So uh, there's a lot, uh, a lot to, to look at here. It says here um, in Leviticus chapter 25, 35 through 43, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. Now again, what is God saying here? This is an, this is an amazing scripture. It's saying that they are to treat them as a foreigner and stranger. And how does it say that you treat foreigners and strangers? You don't take any interest or profit from them. Um... And you don't lend them money at interest, and you don't you don't sell them food at a profit. So you sell it to them at cost. Uh, that's incredible. So not only was this for the poor people that uh, the poor Israelites that lived among them, but this was also for the foreigner and the stranger that lived among them. It continue goes on. It says, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell them to do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired servants hired workers, or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released, and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors, because the Israelites are my servants. Who, and, he, and, and he's constantly referring to the back to the fact that he brought them up out of Egypt. So this is incredibly significant and um, just shows the, the ignorance uh, that... Obama has in regards to understanding what the scriptures actually teach. And a lot of people don't take the time to look into the truth of this matter. They just, uh, you know, take some website that is just uh, perpetuating uh, ideas that haven't been looked into, right? So they're just slamming the Bible for no good reason. Now, do we have slavery in America today? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, there are more slaves in the world today than there have ever been. Uh, there are over 21 million slaves now in the world. Uh, the sex slave industry is on the rise. It's not decreasing. And it's a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, but we have slavery in another way, too. We have people, a lot of uh, people, uh, essentially slaves to credit cards, right? Now, uh, we don't typically think of it as slavery, but uh, a lot of people, they're working, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a day uh, a week. And what, what, what for? What to pay off their debt? You know, that may be school loans, that may be credit cards, that may be their home loans, uh, all kinds of things that 
they're doing. And, um, and a lot of people, that's for most of their lives. You know, the debt in this country is going up, not down. That's both individual debt and uh, our debt as a nation. It is not decreasing, it's increasing. And a lot of this has to do with two things, bad moral principles, but also bad financial principles. Um, very sad. In Proverbs 22, 7, it says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. And that's what's happening in a, a lot of situations in our country where people are abusing their wealth or abusing people that don't have as much. We see a lot of uh, companies or what we would call corporate cronyism. You know, I'm all for the free market and I'm all for, um, I'm, I'm all for uh, capitalism. Um, but what I'm not for is crony capitalism. And that's where companies are in bed with the government to take advantage of people. And we see this happening all the time um, where uh, companies make deals with the government to be able to take advantage of other people or put other businesses out of business. And um, ultimately, that's a moral issue. It's not a financial issue because the finances are, the free market works great. But if you, if you become corrupt and you're no longer honest, no longer uh, dealing fairly with people, then, you know, you, you've got a huge problem. And so um, the book of Amos talks all about this kind of stuff. We'll be right back. You're listening to Kevin Conover on Educate for Life. We're on AM 1170, The Answer. We will be right back. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 7.30 to 5.30, and Saturdays, 7.30 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Thanks for tuning in to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer, in San Diego every Sunday, 4 to 5 p.m. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. I've got tons of classes online that you can take that are all about uh, looking at the biblical worldview and giving the credibility for it. I'm an apologetics teacher, which uh, apologetics comes from the Greek word to defend. And uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm making a defense for the biblical worldview and arguing that it is the truth. So what we're talking about today is we're dispelling the idea that the Bible somehow condones slavery. Slavery. It absolutely does not. In fact, the Bible's attitude towards... Um, finances and how to deal with poverty and so forth is incredibly uh, smart and uh, moral and good and kind to people. Uh, It's something that more people should look into and take the time to research and understand because it would have a dramatic impact on the way we deal with debt and uh, economics and everything else. So, The truth of the matter is that um, the Old Testament actually, uh, by the way, I wanted to talk about this. You know, since the 1980s, the the debt in uh, household debt in the U.S. has increased over 1200 percent. So whereas the medium uh, income over time since 1980 uh, has increased, you know, maybe doubled um, the actual credit card debt per household has gone up over 1,200%. The stats are absolutely ridiculous and uh, just uh, horrible. And it, it's really tragic, in my opinion, and uh, something should be done about it. You know, the, US net, the, the national U.S. debt today is uh, just unbelievable how much our country is in debt now. And... Um, you know that the Bible says very clearly that that uh, 
you know, as a nation becomes more and more morally corrupt, its finances will get worse and worse. And if we look at, uh, if you were to go to usdebtclock.org, um, you can see the debt building even as we're doing this show. Uh, we're over 18 trillion in debt, and um, and and you know, it's not going to be long before we're over 20 trillion in debt. And this just keeps getting shoved uh, down the road. Uh, by politicians, uh, they don't seem willing to deal with it. And, you know, a lot of people make different guesses about what's eventually going to happen as this debt continues to increase. But, uh, and, and, you know, the the U.S. is the, uh, you know, we are is, uh, currency, We the dollar is the world currency. But that potentially could go away. There's all kinds of things that could happen. Um, the British pound used to be the world currency, but they lost that, and the U.S. dollar took over. Uh, I believe that was around the 1970s. But uh, if this continues, uh, increasing debt like this, um, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And, you know, a lot of people argue, well, there's no better place to put your money than the U.S., so it doesn't matter how, uh, how bad the dollar gets, um, how much money we print. Um, but uh, I, I don't see that. I see that problem eventually coming home to roost and us having to deal with it. Um, the founding fathers were, most of them, adamantly against having debt like this. It's absolutely ridiculous that our government is allowed to do this. Um, so, let's see here. The Old Testament actually punished forced slavery by death. So in Exodus 21.16, this is the, the best. If you were to take just one scripture to show that the Bible does not endorse slavery. This is the, the best one, I would say. Exodus 21.16 says specifically, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Um, and once a master freed a person from his servant obligations, meaning he paid off his debt, the former servant had the status of full and unencumbered citizenship. So it's not like he was a you know, half citizen or uh, sub sub you know par person he he had full citizenship so god's goal was to make laws so that there wouldn't even be voluntary slavery among the jews and that was by eliminating poverty so old testament laws try to prevent all slavery by preventing all poverty for example the poor were allowed to glean the edges of fields or pick lingering fruit on trees after their fellow israelites harvest uh, that's in Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24, Exodus 23. God commanded fellow Israelites to lend freely to the poor, Deuteronomy 15, and to give them food without making a profit, Leviticus 25. Not to charge them interest for loans, Exodus 22, Leviticus 25. When the poor could not afford um, to make their their uh, spiritual sacrifices, they could sacrifice smaller, less less expensive animals. People were to automatically cancel debt every seven years. Uh, when a master released his debt servants, he was to generously provide for them without a grudging heart, says in Deuteronomy 15. Um, so the whole point that I'm trying to make here is that God didn't want there to be any poverty or servanthood in uh, the nation of Israel. The servant laws existed to help the poor, not to keep them down. Uh, that's the whole point. And, and that's what uh, so many people miss uh, when they're dealing with this issue, they see the word slavery in the Old Testament, and without even taking the time to look into it, they just, uh, you know, w with this idea of what they understand about American slavery and American, the antebellum South, and they just impose that on the biblical test, text. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, it, in 26 and 27, it says that all humans are God's image bearers, okay? It says we're all made in God's image. In Job, it states that the, both the master and the slave come from the mother's womb and are equals, Job 31. Um, and according to David uh, Friedman, an expert on the ancient Near East, it, it, he said this, he said, We have in the Bible the first appeals in world literature to treat slaves as human beings, for their own sake and not just in the interest of their masters. So the Bible um, is actually saying, hey, these are people, treat them equally. There are three very remarkable, amazing provisions in Israel. If, um, if the U.S., the antebellum South, followed just these three principles, um, slavery would never have gotten off the ground. So the first one is the anti-harm laws. Okay, so 
in Babylon, Hammurabi's code, this is a very famous code, permitted the master to actually cut off his disobedient slave's ear. But contrast that with the Old Testament law, which said that when a Jewish employer accidentally gouged out the eye or knocked out the tooth of his male or female servant, the servant was to go free. So if he, if he hurt his, his um, did any permanent injury to his, his uh, Jewish um, servant, that person automatically went free. If a Jewish employer's disciplining his servant resulted in immediate death, that employer was to be put to death for murder, Exodus 21.20. Completely different than uh, other ancient Near Eastern law codes. And so um, that's very important to understand. Um, okay, we're coming up on a break here. We're going to cover the, the next two things. If, if, they, if the Antebellum South had followed these other two principles as outlined in the scriptures, um, slavery would never have gotten off of the ground. And so very important to keep this in mind. Okay, um, we will be right back. You're on AM 1170, The Answer with Kevin Conover. Uh, my website is educateforlife.org. And we are demonstrating that the Bible not at all, does not at all condone slavery. Never did, never has, never will. We'll be right back. In 1947, Gordon Tucker began serving San Diego County families. Today, the family tradition continues with two stores, Tucker's Valley Furniture and Cash and Carry, both right across the street in El Cajon at Maine and Mollison. Whether you want today's modern, eco-friendly furniture or authentic Amish furniture from solid cherry wood built in America, let the Tucker family serve your family. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. A proud sponsor of Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Not all home inspections are created equal. Experience matters. Joe DeMars and his team at Housemaster have performed inspections in San Diego for 22 years plus and performed over 10,000 inspections for commercial, multiple family, apartments, and residential. So call before you buy or sell and protect your investment. Call 619-660-7866 or online at sandiego.housemaster.com. Home inspections done right. Guaranteed. 619-660-7866. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. And what we're talking about here is just showing that uh, the Bible does not in any way condone slavery. Um, Obama, in his 2006 address to the Renewing Coal Conference, uh, insinuated that the Bible uh, condones slavery, and that is 100% wrong. Uh, we're covering three principles, as outlined in the scriptures, that would have totally shut down slavery if people actually read their Bible and followed it. Now, I want, I want you to think about this, too. Contrast this with the fact that, that um, let's say a person is an atheist, and they're trying to say slavery is wrong, right? Well, the problem is, is that they can't really make that statement. Why? Because let's say they say, I don't, slavery's wrong. Well, well, based on what? Who are you to say that slavery's wrong? If somebody else says, well, I think slavery is right, all you can do is say, well, my opinion matters more than your opinion. But again, who are you to say that your opinion matters more than their opinion? You see, in order to be able to say confidently and with some sort of a foundation that slavery is wrong, universally wrong, you have to believe in God. Uh, there must be a God to advocate absolute morality, a moral principle that is true for all people in all times and all places. Uh, you have to have somebody who is superior to my opinion or your opinion. And this is why uh, Christianity is so important, because it gives us unalienable rights. And one of those rights is 
liberty, right? The right to life and liberty. And this is one of the scary things about what's happening in our country today is that we are giving up our rights by saying there is no God, therefore we have no unalienable rights. We only have the rights that are given to us by government. And if government gives you rights, it can also take those rights away. Um, on the other hand, if God gives us rights, then the government has no power to take those rights away. And what does the Bible say? It says, uh, this is in Exodus 21, 16, um, that if anybody steals a person and makes him a slave, they are to be put to death. It was the death penalty if you were to steal somebody. Well, how did antebellum uh, southern slavery get off the ground? Well, it was through kidnapping. Okay, It was through stealing people from their country and bringing them to America. And so, uh, again, we see here that if people followed what the Bible actually teaches, uh, that would never have gotten off the ground in the first place. So, very important to to uh, take a close look at that. So um, let's go on to the third one. The third is anti-return laws. And the anti-return laws specifically state uh, in Deuteronomy 23, it says, if a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand them over to their master. Let them live among you wherever they like and in whatever town they choose. Do not oppress them. Uh, contrast this with Hammurabi's code from Babylon, which demanded the death penalty for those helping runaway slaves. Uh, in 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 um, Hittite law, the fines were um, there were also all kinds of fines if you sheltered a, a runaway slave. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says very specifically, do not return them to their master. Allow them to live with you wherever they want. Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright said this uh, from his book in Old Testament Ethics, uh, page 292. He says, No other ancient Near Eastern law has been found that holds a master to account for the treatment of his own slaves as distinct from injury done to the slave of another master. And the otherwise universal law regarding runaway slaves was that they must be sent back and with, with severe penalties for those who failed to comply. So, what he's saying here is there is no other ancient Near Eastern law. And we have thousands of texts that have been found uh, through archaeology. We know what the nation surrounding Israel, how they lived and how they treated people. And the reality is, is that nobody else in the ancient Near East told you as a master that you could not hurt your, your, your slave and told you not to return runaway slaves that were owned by other people. It just didn't exist. And so, um, uh, very, very important to, to take a close look at this uh, to understand it. Okay, so, there are a couple scriptures that, are, um, that give people the most trouble, and I just want to talk about those briefly um, before we move on here. And uh, those are specifically in Leviticus 19.34, it says, uh, um, I'm sorry, it's in Leviticus 25, 42 through 46. It says, As for your male and female slaves who you may have, you may acquire male and female slaves from the pagan nations that are around you. Then too, it is out of the sons of the sojourners who live as aliens among you that you may gain acquisition, and out of their families who are with you, whom they will have produced in your land. They also may become your possession. You may even bequeath them to your sons after you to receive as a possession. You can use them as permanent slaves. Now, this scripture is very troubling uh, to a lot of people because they say, look, it, it's clear that they were allowed to get slaves from other people. Not only were they allowed to get slaves, they were, they were able to own them. Uh, so this doesn't seem to be the form of you know, indentured servitude or the type of bond servant that you were, you know, that, that the other scriptures are referring to. But I think there are some interesting things here in the way the text is, is, is stating things. First of all, it says, from the pagan nations around you. Keep in mind, remember, that in the, in the pagan nations, a slave could be killed, uh, treated horribly, right? Um, and so you would actually be in a much better position um, living in Israel as a slave than you would in a lot of other nations where they're practicing all kinds of uh, horrible behavior. Uh, the things that were going on in the other nations are, are incredibly evil. Um, but not only that, um, these people, when it, when it describes, when the Bible describes these people as pagans or aliens living among you, um, 
it's possible that's what's going on here is these are people that are not assimilating into Israelite culture. So a foreigner could come in to Israelite culture and actually become an Israelite and embrace their worldview, right? Say, I'm going to be a part of what you guys are doing. Yahweh will be my God. We see this in the book of Ruth. Uh, Moabitess who, right, her daughters, um, uh, her daughter Ruth says, your God will be my God. Right where you go, I will go. Well, what is she doing? She's assimilating. She's becoming a part. Of, she's becoming Jewish essentially, and she ends up being in the line of David, uh, one of the ancestors of David. So, so anybody could do that. But let's say somebody comes in and they say, well, well, I'm not interested in becoming a part of what you're doing. I don't want to be a part of your group. Uh, well, you're not going to give that person freedom to go and then alter society, right? They're going to have to continue to be subservient to you because you don't want them taking over and, and it, it's kind of like right we don't want in america we have a constitution uh the u.s constitution we don't want that uh supplanted by for example sharia law or some other law european law this is the u.s constitution we don't want that changed well the jews had the same situation they didn't have somebody coming into their nation who did who wasn't interested in following their rules and principles and yet could become full citizen. No, that's that's not going to happen. Um, because, but but they if they wanted to assimilate, then great. But if not, well, you know this isn't the place for you. Um, and and so again, keep in mind the text uh, in light of Leviticus twenty five. Keep in mind Leviticus nineteen. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Leviticus twenty four twenty two. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. So again, what we see here is this. It looks like there's a distinction between a foreigner who decides to assimilate and a foreigner who decides to remain an alien. And again, I think that's very important to understand. Okay, we have one more segment here. We're um, coming up on a break and we'll uh, polish this off. I hope this has been helpful to you. You're on am1170theanswer.com. Um, we stream it all around the world. My ministry is Educate for Life, and you're listening here to Kevin Conover on Educate for Life Radio. Okay, we'll be right back. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0766. What do leading local restaurants have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at expressfixcoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. 619-867-3853. In 1947, Gordon Tucker began serving San Diego County families. Today, the family tradition continues with two stores, Tucker's Valley Furniture and Cash and Carry, both right across the street in El Cajon at Main and Mollison. Whether you want today's modern, eco-friendly furniture or authentic Amish furniture from solid cherry wood built in America, let the Tucker family serve your family. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. A proud sponsor of Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. We've got podcasts, YouTube channel. I've got tons of classes you can take on all kinds of subjects, including creation, evolution, uh, the issue of homosexuality, uh, the science in the Bible, uh, all kinds of stuff there. My hope for you, the, the whole reason I do this show is that you would learn to love people more, love God more, trust the Bible more, and think more deeply about the issues. Um, a lot of times we, we think, you, you know, we're, we live in a culture that is just throwing out cliches all over the place and is very shallow in so many areas. And, and for issues like this, we need to, we need to dig down deeper um, in order to really fully grasp things and, 
and understand them. And so we're dealing with the issue of slavery in the Bible. The Bible does not condone slavery as it was condoned in the uh, antebellum South, the pre-Civil War slavery. Um, we've, we've already discussed and demonstrated that the Old Testament in no way condones slavery uh, as we think of slavery. But what about the New Testament? Well, it's important to understand that in the New Testament, during the first century, 85 to, this is the time of Christ, 85 to 90 percent of Rome's population consisted of slaves in both lowly and prestigious positions. So this was obviously not a good thing. In fact, the Old Testament actually treated people a lot better than Rome did um, in the New Testament, right? But the Jews didn't have any power. This was the Romans doing this. The Bible says that all humans are created in God's image and therefore are equal. That's James 3.9. It says there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, no male and female, as all believers are one in Christ. In Galatians 3.28, Colossians 3.11. The Bible says that Jesus was sent to proclaim release to the captives to set free those who are oppressed. That's Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Isaiah 61.1. And in, in Paul, in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4, uh, he gave rules for both masters and slaves. It says, slaves are responsible to God. They're heavenly masters. Masters are to treat your slaves in the same way. Um, as persons governed by a heavenly master, Ephesians 6, 9. Uh, during that time, slaves took on leadership positions in the church. Paul's mil ministry uh, illustrated that. Um, and the New Testament's approach to slavery is contrary to aristocrats and philosophers such as Aristotle. If you think about it, Aristotle held that certain humans were slaves by nature. Uh, that's from uh, his p politics, uh, his writings. Paul called on human masters to grant justice and fairness to their slaves in Colossians 4.1. Paul treated slaves as morally responsible people who, like their Christian masters, are brothers and part of Christ's body. Christians, slaves and masters alike, belong to Christ. So, so some people will say, well, why, why did Christ not fight against slavery? Christ wasn't fighting against social issues. What he was dealing with was the heart. And ultimately, the heart is the most important issue. Why? Because once the heart is changed, then all of a sudden the master frees the slave. Okay? And so that's critically important to understand. Um, the book of Philemon is a fantastic example of this because what happens in it is Philemon, who is, um, who, who is a free person, owns a slave Onesimus. Well, uh, Onesimus runs away from Philemon, but he, Onesimus runs to Paul. Well, Philemon got saved by Paul. So Paul shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with Philemon. Philemon got saved. And Paul writes a letter to Philemon telling him, I think you should set your slave free, right? No longer as a slave, but as a brother. And so Paul actually argues with Philemon that, that he should let uh, Onesimus go. Um, and it's a powerful, I'll read you uh, some of the statements here that, that he makes. This is Philemon 1, 8 through 19. Listen to what he says here. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. So, so Paul here, being respectful, is telling Philemon, look it, I could tell you what to do, but I'm going to ask you to do what's right, and I'm hoping you'll do what's right because you know it's right. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he is in prison at this time, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So Onesimus apparently was helping him out. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent. This is Paul just being completely upright, completely beyond reproach, um, trying to treat both Onesimus and Philemon respectfully and in a, uh, a way in which he's esteeming them better than himself, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. And here's the key part. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man 
and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention, he throws in a little manipulation here at the end. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Right? So what he's saying there is, look it. By the way, all this nice stuff I said, remember that if it weren't for me, you wouldn't even know Christ. Um, you owe me your life um, spiritually. And so, again, what we see here is that throughout the entire Bible, there is never uh, an endorsement or a condoning of slavery as we see it in uh, the antebellum South, as we see it in pre-Civil War, the pre-Civil War South. And sure, you know what? A lot of people used the Bible to try to justify slavery. They took that one uh, saying by Paul out of context where it says, slaves obey your masters, right? Totally ripped it out of context and abused it and tried to prevent their uh, slaves from being able to read so that they couldn't actually read the text of Scripture. But the fact of the matter is, is that the whole book, um, you, you know, um, there are stories of many slaves, right, who led their 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 master to Christ, and then their master, what does he do? Ultimately, recognizes the evil of slavery, and so where Christ goes comes freedom. And Jesus Christ said, uh, "Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Because the truth of the matter is, is that as the Bible says, there is no slave or free. There is no there is no uh, Greek, right, or Jew. There is no male or female. Um, all the battles that take place between the sexes, between the races, between those who have and those who have not, the Bible eliminates those. It says, no, you should not be making distinctions based on these items. Um, they're irrelevant when it comes to your relationship with one another when you Become, when you when you come to know Christ, you are all one in Christ, and uh, there is no distinction, right? God does not show favoritism, and so that's very important. Uh, but but without that Christian worldview, without that biblical worldview, well, all those distinctions come back into play, because you have no moral justification to say we're all one like that, um, unless you have a God who who says I made you. Therefore, you are all one in me. Um, otherwise, it's just one person's opinion versus another, right? And, and one person can justify slavery as much as somebody else says they can. Okay, I hope this show has been a blessing to you and an encouragement to you. Trust God more, trust the Bible more, love people more, and think deeply about the issues. We'll be back next week, Sunday, 4 to 5 p.m., AM 1170, The Answer. I'm Kevin Conover. Have a fantastic night. God bless you. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, a regular feature on AM 1170, The Answer. Learn more about Kevin and his work online at his website, educateforlife.com. That's educateforlife.com. You'll find great resources, ideas, and even video classes there to help you grow and understand what in the world is happening. Encourage your friends to listen for great guests and intelligent analysis of the stories that shape our lives. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, exclusively on AM 1170. The answer. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more. Educate for Life on AM 1170. The answer is sponsored by educateforlife.org.